Well, good morning, Highland Park. My name is Brian. It's really good to be with you today. Every week, we get to open up God's Word and see what God wants to say to us, speak to us. And it's my prayer every Sunday morning that people would not just hear from me, but they would hear from God. And we believe God speaks to us. And if you have your Bibles today, please turn to 1 John chapter 5. That's going to be our text today. And as you do, I want to talk to you about words. There are lots of words in our world today. You know that today there will be 23 billion text messages sent just today. And one out of every seven people on our earth will log into Facebook today. And all of them will either post about a hateful political post or they'll take a picture of their soup. It'll be one of those two things and they'll post that um, a few people might post about how their church is helping them love others, and that'll be really cool to see those amongst the other things. There will be 500 million people tweet things today. And, and here's a question for you. How many words do you think the average person speaks every day? I mean, like with their mouth, actually speaks. You can go ahead, take a guess. Tell your neighbor what you think it is. How many words per day, the average person? The average person speaks 16,000 words a day. That's a lot. Now, I know that some of you are really upping that average for the rest of us. Okay, so I, I understand that, but that's 16,000. There, there's lots of words being spoken, being typed, being sent on social media. The question is not, are people talking? The question is, are we talking about things that are good? Things that matter? Things that help? And we've been in the series called The People Who Love, and we've just been asking, what would it be like if when people saw you, they thought, wow, that person really loves. They really love the Lord, and they really love their neighbor and their friends and the people around them. And so what would the people who love be talking about? That's what I want to ask today. Well, we know from Scripture, um, there's some general principles, and we're not going to spend much time on them, but when you just look at Scripture, you got to say this. First of all, we would be talking less and listening more. That's just a biblical principle. Listen first. Don't be quick to speak. Don't be quick to become angry, and then speak. We know that our words would be um, always full of grace. That's what Colossians 4, 6 says. Even when nothing else around us is full of grace, our words would be full of grace. We know that we would speak with truthfulness. There would be no lies. We would speak encouraging. But there are some specific things in 1 John chapter 5 that I want us just to kind of dive into and unpack this morning about our words, about our talking. So let's begin by talking to God and asking him to kind of reveal his truth, show his truth to us today. God, we, we talk a lot Lots of words come out of our mouth, leave our fingertips every day. And we recognize how important it is, how life-changing it is for us to speak like you want us to speak, for us to talk about the things you want us to talk about and to talk to the people you've placed for us to talk to. So God, help us to hear your words to us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing we see from 1 John chapter 5 is that we talk to our world. And when I say our world, I mean our world who does not know Jesus. 
the, the world out there that is yet to come to salvation in Christ. And so look at 1 John chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 6. There's a couple verses that are a little confusing, but we're going to come back to it. So stick with me and kind of explain what John the writer is talking about here. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. When we read these words, it almost sounds like John is arguing with somebody, and he really is. If you've been here with us, you know that part of the reason that, that John was writing this letter was to address a group of people called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, they did not believe that Jesus really was the Son of God come in human form, uh, God's Son. And so they had this false teaching that was beginning to spread its ugliness into some of the churches. And John wants to address that same one. So anytime we read First John, we have to understand he's like hitting this time and time and time again. We have to understand that. And so he's refuting that. And uh, in Old Testament law, in fact, in many places still today, you needed the testimony of three people to have your word stand up in court. For somebody to be convicted, you needed three witnesses. And you'll notice that kind of throughout Scripture. Oftentimes when it talks about uh, building a case, there'll be three witnesses. That's because that's people understood. You need these three so everyone understands. And then we get here to John, and he says, there's these testimony from three that talk about the Son of God. It's the Spirit, the water, and the blood. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the water um, refers to the physical nature and birth of Christ. And then as we see that, this physical nature of baptism uh, that gives us life with Christ. So we kind of understand humanity with that word. And then the blood, Jesus' death on the cross, which pays the price for sins. And when we remember this at the Lord's Supper, all three give witnesses. All three give witness, and they talk about Christ, even to a world may not believe in Christ yet. Let me explain how. This Holy Spirit gives witness to people who do not believe in Christ yet uh, a number of ways. One is through what's happening right now, through preaching and through teaching. And whether that be somebody on a stage, like right now, or somebody sitting at a restaurant with a friend, speaking and preaching God's word, the Holy Spirit interacts through that, speaking to people when we open up God's word. Uh, in, in miracles, the Holy Spirit speaks throughout the scripture and even today, so that when Jesus was there and there was this uh, huge multitude of people and they were really hungry, uh, Jesus provides lunch for everyone. From one kid's lunchbox, he provides lunch for the whole multitude. And if you were here last week, you got to hear Ron Morse, missionary, who years ago in the jungles of Southeast Asia, God provided fish for thousands of meals from a stream where no fish had ever been before or after. And so God does these miracles, and they are a testimony. The Spirit gives witness 
to God and to Jesus and to the life that we can have. Also through the scriptures, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that God's um, word is inspired. It's God-breathed. The Bible is God-breathed. So God inspired, the Spirit worked through people like John to write his words into what we call the Bible. And then the Holy Spirit guides people to speak and model his love. Uh, Just this morning, I spoke to one of you. One of you, this past week, was prompted by the Holy Spirit to connect with somebody you knew of, but you did not actually know. And by the end of the week, you were having dinner with this person and their family and getting to know them and encouraging them. Why did that happen? Because God's Spirit prompted you to take action to love someone, to encourage someone. And the Holy Spirit is in the business of doing that for us still today. And then the water, the water gives testimony. Anytime somebody is baptized, it's as if from that baptistry, they are yelling out to the world, I give my life to Christ. That this is a witness. This is something physical that I feel and that people actually see. And it means that I can't save myself, but only Christ can save me and bring me new life. And God does just that. Romans 6 talks about the symbolism of baptism being very physical, and the water is part of that. And it's not that the physical water saves us, God saves us, but in this beautiful act, it gives witness. There's that word again. And the blood gives witness. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, and he said those words that are so hard for us to even fathom coming out of someone's mouth while being unfairly crucified? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And there's a soldier down here who's participating. He's helping kill Jesus. And when Jesus dies, do you remember his words? Surely this was the Son of God. That's what he says. See, Jesus' death on the cross gave witness to this soldier who was killing him that he really was God. And Jesus' death on the cross is still giving witness to us today to say, why would somebody do that? Why would somebody die for me? Why would somebody care for me? Each Sunday we take communion, the Lord's Supper, and it serves as a witness for us. In Acts 2.32, Peter is preaching and he says, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of the fact. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul List. There's all of these witnesses who saw Jesus. They saw him dead, but then they saw him alive. In the Gospel of John, uh, he writes that over 500 people witnessed the risen Savior, Jesus alive. All of this talk in Scripture about we saw Jesus dead, and then we saw him alive. What are you going to do with that kind of a testimony? Well, the correct thing to do is to talk about it to the world who does not know Jesus was walking one day, and he sees this short guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was this little sneaky, shifty cheat. If there was a movie made of Zacchaeus, Danny DeVito would be perfect for that part. He could play that one dead on. And Zacchaeus has cheated people. Uh, People hate him. He's the rich He's the upper class. He's gaming the system. He cares nothing of anybody else. And Jesus is coming, and he's just curious enough that he wants to get a glimpse of who this man is. So he climbs up in the tree. He's short, so he can see. And Jesus is surrounded by all of these people who would love to have him for dinner. 
I mean, they're surrounded. They're wanting to get his attention. And Jesus walks up to the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. Let's have dinner. Me? Of all of these people, you chose me? And he goes to Zacchaeus' house where Zacchaeus' rotten friends are. All of the little Danny DeVito minions are there running around cheating, talking about how they've cheated people. But by the time the dinner is over, Zacchaeus says, my life has to change. In fact, I'm so convicted after listening to Jesus that I'm going to pay back everyone I've ever cheated times four. I want to make it right. You see, when Jesus speaks to us and it changes our life, it really changes our life. It means that there's practical changes that we make the moment after we even meet Jesus. Because big deal, what is, what is giving up our money and our preferences and our comfort? What is giving up any of that matter if we have Jesus now? Jesus could have spoken to lots of people, but he talks to Zacchaeus. You and I need to be willing to talk to people who don't even love us yet. We love first. God loved us first. We love other people first before they even may love us. I remember one time I was walking into the cafeteria of the Galena Middle and High School. They shared lunch hour, and I was working with students, uh, uh, caring for them uh, during my college days. And I walked in there with a pizza on my, on my hand. And as I was walking in, I saw some of the kids from our church kind of gathering up around the table. Um, and talking to each other and ready to eat this pizza that they knew I was bringing to them that day. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw this other kid. It's like a, kind of a big junior high kid. And he was staring, but not at me, at that pizza. The drool was coming out, hitting the table, just looking at that pizza. And then I saw what the Galena cafeteria had served the poor kids that day. And I understood, like, why he wanted that pizza so bad. And I set the pizza down on the table with our students, said hi to them. And I walked over to this kid, and I was like, hey, dude, you want some pizza with us? And I didn't have to ask him twice. I could have offered him a million dollars, and he would have been no more excited than when I said, hey, dude, you want some pizza? And so he came and sat down with us and uh, he began to devour that pizza as the other students began to get to know him and within weeks that young man and his family were devouring God's word they there in Galena Kansas their their only religious background had been an eastern mythical religion far from Jesus and suddenly God's word was presented to them and they heard of Jesus and I got to baptize that young man a few months after that and then his mom was baptized a little while after that and some of the students around that table are still good friends with their brother in Christ even to this day 20 years later when we talk to people we let God work through us into the lives of people you have been given a voice but you've also been given a choice about how you use that. Every one of you has a voice. And I want to beg you, God, ask you, use it to people like Zacchaeus, to people like Adam in the school cafeteria, to the neighbor, to the coworker, to the student, to the person who serves you at a restaurant. Use your voice. God gave it to you. So we talk to the world. We also talk to God. 
Look down in the next verses, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If today, later on, if my wife had to run an errand and I was at the house and one of my kids said, hey dad, can you help me make sure I have the vacuum cleaner on the right setting? I wanted to vacuum the living room for mom because I know when she gets home she was planning to do that and I just wanted to help her out. After I picked up my jaw off the floor, I would (laughs) say, absolutely, I would love to help you do that. Why would I want to do that? Because what they were asking me was within the Father's will of, yes, be a servant in our house, help our household, serve your mom, care for one another. Absolutely. And God says, ask me questions like this, please. Talk to me. Ask me and pray according to my will. And, oh, it becomes a beautiful thing when our will becomes the same as God's will. And it doesn't happen from God's will changing. It happens from our will changing and becoming like him. So that when we ask, we know he's leaning in. Ever talk to somebody and you know that they're right there, but they're not right there? And God hears us. He leans into our words to him. Now James 4.3 warns us to never ask with wrong motives. God doesn't listen to that. If you have some trick up your sleeve, if my kid would have, you know, finished vacuuming and then be like, hey, uh, dad, so there's this thing I wanted to buy. Uh, See, sometimes we pull that stuff with God, but we ask with right motives and in his will. And I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because it teaches us so much about prayer. It's all the way back in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Daniel, and these three guys love the Lord, they're committed to the Lord, and when the king says you have to bow down to this idol, they say, forget it. We're not doing it, we've served you well in many different ways, but we're not bowing down to this false idol. We only serve the one true God. And the king says, you better do that or we will kill you, we'll throw you in this fiery furnace. And they said, well, you better heat it up then. They said, listen, God cares for us, he loves us, and he will deliver us. But then they do this interesting thing. They say, but even if he doesn't, that's okay because we trust God. That maybe God knows better than us. That, that maybe God knows that if we die for him, someone else will be blessed by that. Maybe God knows that if we suffer for him, someone else will be blessed. So while we're asking this in his will, we're asking with humility. And sometimes our prayers, when we say all you got to do is name it and claim it, and it almost feels like sometimes we're saying we're God and he's our little servant boy. Because I said it, he's got to go do it now. Uh-uh. God is God. And so when we pray, we pray with confidence but not arrogance. We pray with confidence saying, God, I know you hear me, but I also know that you know what's best, that you may know something I don't know. And while, God, I'm praying uh, that this is going to happen you know that this is going to happen. And so we pray with confidence, but with humility as well. You 
have been given a voice, but also a choice. So daily, do you talk to the one person who really 100% listens to you? Daily, do you talk to the one person who can actually do something about what you're asking? Who can actually change someone? Do you talk to the one person who loves you and cares for you 100% completely every day? You have a voice, but you also have a choice. So talk to God. The third thing we see is we're to talk to our falling brother or sister. The brother or sister in trouble. The brother or sister flirting with sin and with disaster. Look at chapter 5, verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. This passage can be a bit confusing, talking about, well, what's the sin that leads to death? And that's a whole other sermon, probably for another day. However, what seems to be clear is that John says, if your brother or sister's falling, talk to them. Go speak to them. Don't just sit by and watch them walk off the cliff. Don't just act like you're not your brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. So go keep them, go help them. Galatians 6.1 may help us understand this. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, so kind of picture like an animal trapped in an animal trap, and that's what sin does to us, it traps us. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Not with a mean spirit, not uh, with a, you know, a holier-than-thou approach, but Gently restore that person. Help them get out of that trap. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, I know some of our students have been studying 1 Corinthians on Wednesday night. He teaches us this really important principle, and he says, judge those inside the church, but it's no business of yours to judge those outside the church. In other words, your Christian friends, your brothers and sisters, you have a right to judge them. Not harshly, but gently. Why? To restore them. If I hear one more Christian say, you have no right to judge me, I am going to slap them on the face, not with my hand, but with 1 Corinthians 5, so it's biblical. (laughs) Because that one gets used so much in our really selfish, independent, let me be as I may be society. Because Paul says it's absolutely your responsibility to judge those inside the church. Why? Because to not judge them gently, to not restore them gently, is to watch them walk off the cliff. And it's to watch sin infiltrate the church and lives and families and children and the next generations. And the gospel is losing in churches like that. And so we need to help each other walk correctly it's just like if a coach were to have a basketball team and to see somebody who always dribbles with two hands that person's not going to be very helpful they're going to get called for a double dribble but oh it's it's no business of mine to judge that person well of course it is because it matters and if a coach matters in coaching a basketball team you matter in living your christian life with your brothers and sisters in christ we need each other yes The motive matters, like why you would correct somebody that matters. Uh, Not to tear them down, but to restore them gently. Not to show you are better, but to say, hey man, listen, 
I've struggled with that one too. And, and I was just, I, it makes me nervous when I hear you talk to your wife that way. Or, or I, it just makes me nervous. It seems like, are, are you doing okay with your, your money? Because it seems like you're just spending gobs of money and giving nothing. Are, are you doing okay with your quiet time? Because it seems like you're really uptight and stressed out. And I know when I don't spend time with the Lord, I get really stressed out too. We need some people to restore each other gently. By the way, you can't do that unless you're in relationships and friendships with people. You just can't do it. I don't want somebody I don't know at all coming up to me telling him where I'm out of line. I should be able to still listen to that, but it's pretty hard. But to you and my friends who can come and restore me gently, I need that. So the tone matters. The timing matters. You know, you don't go and tell somebody about a concern you have when they're talking with five other people or they're getting ready to head into some meeting or something like that. No, there's the right time for all of that. So we judge those inside the church. And the flip side is we don't judge those outside the church. It's interesting that so many of us have gotten this completely backwards. Because if you ask the world, what do you think about Christians? A lot of them will say, well, they kind of judge me a lot. And that may or may not be an accurate reflection on their part, but it's at least a, a perception. And the truth is that all too often Christians have judged harshly the world. In other words, we've, we've pointed a finger and say, see, that person stinks. That person's terrible. That person's awful. That person's a pagan, a heathen, a no good. And I could care less about that person. That's what we've communicated. And they've seen us pointing our fingers, condemning, saying, I don't want to be with you. I don't like you. You're good for nothing. And what the people have even heard is God doesn't care for you. And when we judge those outside the church, you know what we're actually doing? We're building humongous barriers between them and Christ, not just them and us. Because when we judge and they know that we're following Christ or supposedly following Christ and we're being hateful to other people, we're making it difficult for them to come find Christ. And those are the people, those building those, those barriers, whom Jesus had the biggest beef with. He was not okay when we were doing that. And so we don't judge. It doesn't mean that we applaud everything the world does, no. So that person that you work with, and their life is a mess, and they're you know, throwing their, their family away because of their uh, problems, and it doesn't mean that you say, yeah, you just keep on doing it. That's great. It doesn't mean that we applaud sin, but we be really cautious in our conversations, and that we offer grace and a new life to someone like that, that Jesus can help, and that Jesus still cares for, that we, we judge those in the church but we don't judge those and condemn those outside the church. You've been given a voice, and you've been given a choice about how to use it. The book of John, uh, 1 John, this letter, ends really abruptly. And imagine if you were the one reading this for the first time, and you get to the very last sentence, verse 21, and it says this, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Was that, the, was that the end? There must be, look in the envelope, there must be another piece of paper. No, that's the end. It's kind of a strange ending to a letter to the church. Keep yourselves from idols. And know sincerely or love or it was nice writing you, just quit it. Watch out, be careful. But I'll tell you this, 
If you were someone who read this letter for the first time, I know two things. I know that you would think, man, I really need to love other people. And you would think, ooh, remember that last thing he said? We better keep ourselves from idols. We better be really careful. I'm reminded of the ending of Isaiah, which ends describing kind of the morbid existence of those who have rebelled against God. I'm like, ooh, that's kind of a rough way to end the letter. But God wants to get his point across that we need to be careful and be cautious. One of the biggest idols is safety and comfort and even routine, selfishness. And that idol will keep us from talking to the world, to each other, and to God. And we need to watch out for those idols that will tear us down and that will twist the way we think of God. You've been given a voice and also a choice. The Bible tells us that one day every knee will hit the ground and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day you will be talking. One day you will be talking that Jesus is Lord. But on that day, will it be too late? Or will you this day say, Jesus, you are Lord? Will you speak that to him now? We've told you that on October 30th, we're praying that on that day, we're calling it Celebration Sunday, we're praying that people who have never accepted Jesus Christ and walked into this baptistry would do that on that day. We're praying that people who have said, uh, man, I've been on the sidelines for too long, I've been a spectator for too long, I'm ready to jump in with both feet and begin to serve and be a part of this church family, we're praying that that will be their day. And maybe that will be your day too, but maybe you don't need to wait that long. And if this morning you want to talk to God, and maybe even to us, we'll have some folks up front that would be glad to pray with you. We'd be glad to study with you. We'd be glad to help you be baptized even today. Or maybe to study about baptism this week, to talk with you. If you would, would you stand up as we sing about how good God is to us? God, thank you that you are so amazing. You are marvelous. And we can't even grasp how good you are. We try, we think about it. Not enough, but God, you are so good and so marvelous. Help us to speak of you and to you. And we want you to rule our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.